Hi there, you're listening to the Crunchy Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Rosie, traditional Catholic wife and mother, bringing you messages of hope and encouragement during these crazy times that we're in. Here we'll talk about faith, motherhood, and natural living, but also all the areas in between. I want to help you not just survive motherhood, but thrive in it. In this day and age, we have so many resources at the tip of our fingers if only we put in the effort. I am a firm believer in personal development and always striving to put our best foot forward. Sometimes that means the more technical matters like baby wearing or sleep training, but it also refers to the most important matters such as prayer life and living out the truths of our Catholic faith. While all these resources are nice, I also know that it can be a bit overwhelming knowing where to even begin. That's why I'm here to help you find the balance between all the things that come with mom life while also living out your Catholic faith in a way that is pleasing to God and effective to the development of your soul and the souls of your children. After all, that's why we're here. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast, and Happy New Year. This is the first podcast episode for 2023, so I'm super excited to be recording this. If you're new here, you know, I already shared a little bit about me in my intro, but my recent disclaimer at the beginning of most episodes has been that if there's any background noise, my littlest guy who is four months old Uh, He's usually hanging out with me during these recordings. He's actually sleeping this time, but he is in a baby carrier and might make some cute little baby noises now and then in the background. Okay, anyways, today's episode is about when you are given a quote-unquote difficult child. (laughs) I have gone back and forth with recording an episode about this because part of me feels a little bit a little bit guilty recording basically an entire episode on a particular child of mine, but I really don't think it's doing anyone any harm. When he grows up, he can listen to it if he wants and he'll say, wow, mom, you put up with a lot. Gee, thanks. I really, I think it's fine. (laughs) And I think that there's more, it's doing more good than it is bad because I just think a lot of people need to hear this because the more moms I talk to who have a kid like that they would maybe classify as their more difficult child. I just really think so many moms think they're alone in it and they don't realize other moms also have a difficult child. And I'm not here to say I have the world's most difficult child in the world. Absolutely not. Please don't take it that way if you have a child who like actually has some special needs or something because I commend you mothers. You are absolute saints for all the extra patience that that requires. My child is not you know, special needs or anything like that, but he definitely is just a big old handful. So let's just get to the beginning of it. So I am a mother of three. They are four and a half, a daughter, two and a half, a son, and then my little four-month-old baby boy. And my daughter, when she was born, she was actually a pretty well-behaved kid. To me, as a first-time mom, I thought she was like a crazy child and a crazy toddler, and she is. She's really funny and goofy because she totally takes after me, but she wasn't like misbehaved. She really, truly, now that I look back, was a toddler who, for the most part, did what you told her to do and did it like happily. Like if you said, come here, she would come here, and I just didn't know any different. And there's some funny quote that goes, you know, your first child gave you all the confidence in the world as a mother. 
and you know you made the then you made the mistake of having a second child or something like that like it gave you a false confidence in yourself as a mother I really thought like oh wow she's so good as a result of my great parenting I am like fully admitting that maybe after my first kid not to say I judged other mothers but I really felt like it was my good efforts and my parenting skills that made her such a well-behaved child. I basically saw it as like a correlation, like, oh, you know, effort input equals output. Like I've tried really hard to raise her to be a good little kiddo and she is. Hooray for my efforts. However, my second child came along and I realized that that is not always the case. Despite your best efforts, you might sometimes just have a kiddo who is a little more challenging than another. And I put the word difficult in quotes on the title. Hopefully no one judges that title without actually listening to the episode. But I put it in quotes because I really have read a lot about not classifying children as, you know, difficult or definitely not as bad because so much of this behavior is completely, completely age appropriate and developmentally appropriate. And by that, I mean, these are just things that their brain is hardwired to do at this age as essentially experiments to see what kind of result they're going to get. They're not doing it to be malicious. Toddlers and kids don't ever want to be bad. They just want to have fun and they want to constantly do experiments, even if that quote unquote experiment is, you know, what will mom do if I do this? It's literally just what they want to do. They're so darn curious. And the more I read about it, the more my child's behavior makes sense to me. So my second kiddo, even from the time he was very little, I could tell he was going to be a much bigger handful than my oldest was. And I would say as soon as he was like crawling, climbing stage, I just was in for, I mean, he gave me a run for my money. I couldn't believe the things he was climbing and stacking and just all these things. If you have a kid like this, you know what I mean. He was doing things that my oldest never would have even thought of. And I just was like, oh my goodness, is this just boys for you or what? And to some extent it is, but I've also heard from other moms that their daughters were that way and their sons weren't. So it really isn't always gender specific like that, but sometimes I think it is. And what I've also heard from a lot of other moms is it's a second child thing. So many moms are like, oh, it's the second child, it's the second child. And I've thought a lot about that because as I've observed, and I have kind of a lot of families to observe, if you will, whether it's families in my social media newsfeed or within my own family members or within our church or my my group of mom friends, I really have kind of observed like, okay, is this really a second child thing? And it's funny because a lot of the time it is, but I don't think it's for the reason that we think it is. I really have assessed my own, I guess, journey, if you will, as a mom. And I kind of think that when my second was born, first of all, that was definitely my hardest like transition was from the first kid to the second kid. And I, I've heard that a lot from people as well. And there's different factors for that. So for one, he was my attempted home birth after a C-section. So my first was a C-section. And then with my second, I tried for a home birth and it turned into a transferred C-section. So there was a little bit of, I guess, resentment on how 
how everything turned out. And I'm, I'm very sad to say that I really do think that kind of impacts just like my mental state early postpartum. And eventually it probably even impacted a little bit of not resentment toward him. I, I don't want to even say that, but I do think the mind really can subconsciously carry some feelings like that. And I have since completely processed it and released it, which has been great to, you know, no longer carry that guilt of like, hey, I know my kid had zero control over how that went. So I don't ever mean to feel resentful, but I think sometimes subconsciously our brain can do that. So having that awareness has been very helpful. But back to the fact of the matter is what I think most moms think is, oh, the second child just because it's the second child. But I think the second child can often be the most difficult transition because you're going from you and your first. And it, that's all you know is you and your first kiddo. For me, you know, she she's a girl, so I had such a close bond with her. And she, she looks a lot like me, so she's just like my mini me. And it was just all about me and her, me and her, me and her. I did actually work for a period of that time, actually my almost my whole pregnancy with my second. So it's not like I was always home with her, but I was just so, so bonded with her. And all she knew was, you know, me and her. And so then when the second comes along, that is such a hard transition, constantly feeling the mom guilt of not having the same one-on-one attention for your oldest as they're used to. And it's different when you transition to another. For example, when I had my third, it wasn't nearly as difficult because the other two did the same thing. They were already used to playing, (laughs) fighting with each other. So nothing changed. Like they still had each other. So that aspect didn't change. Whereas when I went from my first to my second, everything she knew, being able to help mommy bake, being able to do makeup with mommy, all these things that she always knew, I was sort of getting more stressed out by it because now I had to divide my time between two. And so that difficult transition and that mindset that it puts you in is putting you in kind of a not so ideal place to be, you know, now you're raising another baby. And not to say you're not like mentally capable of raising this baby, but you're kind of in this not as great mindset maybe as you were when you had your first. So there is that to be considered. And I also think as that second kid is growing, I think without realizing it, we're kind of constantly comparing whether it's milestones or behavioral, you know, progress between the first and the second. I found myself constantly, constantly comparing behavior. And I didn't realize that I was doing that for a really long time. Every time my second would do something not ideal, I would think to myself, man, my oldest never would have thought of doing that. And I just would basically see it as like, oh, he didn't reach this standard that I have set, the standard being my first kid. And that's so unfair to do that to him. And this goes for any lineup of your kids, whether it's your third, fourth, fifth. It's so unfair to do that because you're totally just comparing apples to oranges. There are so many other factors to be considered. And I would say one of the biggest factors is that they are your second. So they're not getting all that one-on-one. I really think my first might have been so well-behaved because she constantly had one-on-one. If she wanted to help me with something, I said, sure, come on over because her helping hand was actually 
like manageable because she was only one kid. Whereas when my second wants to help with something, usually then my oldest chimes in and then they kind of fight and it just doesn't work. So I just say, nope, sorry, you can't help. I'm trying to be better about that. But that's just an example of the things that maybe I say no to with my second that I used to say no or that I used to say yes with my first. And those are factors that I'm not necessarily considering when I'm comparing them. So I'm just comparing and saying, oh, she met this bar and he failed to meet it, you know, failure. (laughs) And I'm not actually stopping to think, okay, well, what am I doing differently or what's different in our lives right now? There are so many other factors. So don't compare your kiddos. So I really think kind of to wrap up that little segue about the second child being difficult, I think a lot of it has to do with our transition from the first kid to the second, as well as us comparing and just the many different factors with raising our first versus our second. So that has helped me tremendously not to see certain behaviors as like bad per se or as, oh wow, my oldest never would have considered doing this. But as seeing them as just, that's just him. He he has differences. He's not the same kid and it's not fair for me to continue to compare that. There's things he does that she never would have thought of doing, like good things. There's things that he's able to do. He's amazing with hitting a ball with a bat. Like he's so athletic and there's all these positive things that once I start thinking about those and start looking for those, I start to notice them more. So it really is all on what you're focusing on. Okay, so to end my segue about the second child, I would say one of the most eye-opening moments for me with regards to dealing with a difficult child was a talk that I attended, and I actually didn't realize I was going to be attending a talk. I was giving a presentation on my rosary bracelets to a women's retreat at our church, and then after my presentation, a one of the priests of our church gave a talk. So, of course, I just stayed and listened. I was kid-free and able to listen, and he talked about a quote that a saint, or maybe it was just a priest or a bishop, I totally don't remember, but they had said, they said a difficult, a difficult priest is worth their weight in gold or a difficult member, cloister member. Like he basically said, replace this word with whatever applies to your life. So a difficult coworker or a difficult family member. For me, I thought of it as a difficult child is worth their weight in gold. And I didn't understand what he meant by that. And he went on to say that if they weren't in your life, how different you might be, how much less you might be practicing patience and humility and charity, and basically saying that if they weren't part of your life, you might be tempted to slack off a little bit. Essentially, they keep you on your toes. And my goodness, do I always, always, always tell people that my middle child keeps me on my toes. And when he said that, I just was blown away that I had never thought of it that way. I was like, why am I always thinking how resentful I am of having to deal with this behavior instead of thinking, okay, God knows what he's doing. He gave me this child and his, you know, behavior for a reason. And I can definitely, definitely say that I have never been forced to practice so much humility and patience and charity as I have since this middle child has grown up to be this rambunctious little toddler that he is. So 
when I say difficult, I mean, just apply this however this applies to you. For me, it is just such outright disobedience. And, you know, some people might view that as really bad behavior. I have learned to view it as age appropriate. He's just experimenting and super curious. But the outright, you know, in a parking lot, come here, and he doesn't, whereas my oldest child always would, has led me to just say, okay, when I go somewhere where I'm not able to like safely manage that disobedience of not staying with me in a parking lot, he's going in a stroller. <laughs> and this poor, you know, two and a half year old has been in a stroller way, 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 way more times than my oldest ever was. And instead of viewing that as, oh, that's not fair or that's not right, that he has to be in this stroller, you know, at the fair or be in a stroller looking at Christmas lights, all these different occasions that I have put him in a stroller buckled that I never had to do for my oldest, but that's okay. For me, I'm like, I'm either putting him in the stroller or it's gonna be really stressful, him running away, me chasing him, and then probably leaving. So tell yourself that if there are accommodations you have to make for your difficult child, it's okay. And be willing to consider those accommodations. I feel like I read so many posts about people who, you know, share how difficult their kid is or something like, oh yeah, I have to carry the car seat and then drag my toddler because they're not listening. And some people will comment like, well, do you have a double stroller? And they're like, oh, I mean, I do, but it's just such a pain. It's like, well, be willing to, you know, accept the advice or be willing to try something new. For me, we got a double stroller when I had my second and I actually didn't use it that much. I used the single stroller for my baby in his car seat and my toddler, my oldest, she would just usually walk or listen now that my third has been born, I've used that double a lot because he goes in the car seat and my toddler gets buckled. So if I'm doing like the mall with all three of my kids and just me or the library or anything that's just me and all of them, I try to do the double so I can have the car seat for my baby and the the straps to trap my little toddler. So when I say he keeps me humble and he keeps me patient. I think that a few examples I could give, I don't really need to get into detail. If any of you know me or listening, you already know. But if you don't know me and you're listening, just think of some of those most like embarrassing moments when your toddler is really, really, really pushing your boundaries and you're in public. That's when it gets really humbling. For me, it is often at church because that's just where he decides to be super testy because of course I'm, you know, expecting a two-year-old to sit quietly in a, you know, 45 minute to an hour long mass. That's a long time for a kid. And we don't always make him sit the whole thing. If he lasts, he lasts, but oftentimes we end up bringing him out. So we have a crying room and then beyond the crying room, we have some hallways and a playroom. He absolutely refuses the playroom because he <laughs> he's super hard and tough on the outside, but he's super soft and timid on the inside. It's really funny. So there's babysitters and he absolutely refuses to step foot in there because of the babysitters. But if it's empty, he'll go in there with other kids, but not a babysitter. So he gets literally sobbing, mommy, mommy. And I, I feel like that's really common for these kids that are like so rough and tough on the outside is they actually are such a little mama's boy on the inside with a big, big heart. And that is him. <laughs> so at church, oftentimes he will be 
going limp when I grab his hand. This is his most recent thing is just going completely limp. So he's all dead weight and I'm holding the baby in my other arm and I'm literally left either having to get down and scoop him up like a football or dragging his dead weight or, I mean, looking at him and saying, get up, get up, come with mommy, absolutely does nothing. He just thinks it's really, really funny to do really funny things. (laughs) And if you've been a mom to a kid like this, you know that in those moments, I feel like I've come a long way with how, how I need to just practice humility and patience in those moments. But how it used to be before I, you know, really prayed for the grace to handle those moments. It used to be very, it felt very humiliating. You feel like you're being judged because you feel like other moms are thinking, wow, they really don't know how to handle their kid. Like that's literally what goes through your mind is you think other people are thinking you must not be a very good mom because look what your kid is doing. You may or may not think that, but I feel like a lot of us do. And it's just kind of embarrassing to sit there and say something and everyone's watching and they're just straight up not listening to you. Or maybe they're even kicking you or biting you or screaming no or mocking you like a lot of kids do. And that can be very humiliating. I come from pretty extensive management experience. And recently I was telling my husband, I was like, you know, I think I've realized the reason I have such a hard time when our kids just flat out don't listen is because I've only ever been in a position of authority. So in high school, I was often, you know, the team captain or valedictorian or class representative in my, even in my family lineup, even though I have seven siblings, seven sisters, I'm actually at the very bottom. So I have two sisters under me. So the three of us there's a three-year age gap between me and my older sister. And then my younger sister is only 20 months younger than me and then another sister under her. So the youngest three of us, we were kind of like our own little cluster amongst the eight of us. And I was the oldest of that cluster. So it's like everything I ever knew in my life, I was kind of in charge. When I went on to my work experience, I was quickly promoted to supervisor and then manager. And I just was always in a place of authority not saying this to like toot my horn, but it's just a personality type that has often landed me, if you will, those positions. And always having the authority to say something and have it be followed. And if it's not followed, you know, there's repercussions. Like when I was in management, that's how it went. So when I went on to become a mother, it's like this brand new concept. How dare someone who I'm telling what to do not listen to me? And it has taken a long, long time to come to terms with that and to realize that I don't need to take it personally. Oh, it's okay. I think I used to just take it so personally, like I would take it as a personal attack when they would just outright defy me or not listen, especially if we were out in public and I would get, you know, so frustrated by it. Okay, I'm going to share a really raw moment right now. My littlest, who I already mentioned is here in the baby carrier. This is like my fifth retake of saying the same sentence because he keeps waking up. So it's just kind of ironic because I'm literally talking about like kids not listening, not that he's old enough to listen, but It is a a moment of practicing some grace right now that I'm trying to say the same sentence and he keeps like really loudly crying. Okay, I think he's done. I think he's back to sleep. Anyways, I used to take it very personally when they would outright not listen and basically allow that personal attack to cause so much like anger inside of me and embarrassment and shame and frustration, which would then 
lead to maybe taking actions that I would later regret. And then you have mom guilt and more shame. And it's just a big spiral. And I think what we need to constantly remind ourselves is that A, God chose to give you this child with their behavior or whatever it is. He absolutely willed that. So it is, I should say wills, present tense. He absolutely wills that for you in your life, whether it's so that you can build particular graces to get through your life, build particular graces to get your kids to heaven, whatever the case may be. Maybe it needs to build you to be a more patient person to then be a better wife or a more charitable person to be, you know, a better sister and daughter. There's definitely some bigger picture correlation. And I think the biggest picture correlation is simply that it is your job to get your child to heaven. So if they are starting off life as kind of a rowdy, rambunctious, not the best listener, that's okay. And just remember that it is age appropriate. It is developmentally appropriate. So it isn't worth getting super caught up on doing all this research on like the latest and greatest discipline action, you know, you're thinking, oh, well, this didn't work. So I got to try something else. This didn't work. So I got to try something else. And I'm not saying you need to just be willy nilly and, you know, brace yourself until they get through the difficult years. No, you still have to have some level of standard in your home. But don't get so caught up thinking like, okay, we tried this. It didn't work. We got to just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying until something works. Because sometimes Nothing is going to work, and sometimes you just have to sort of get through those years. For me, with my second, I have needed to basically change my home to be way, way, way more childproof than it ever needed to be with my oldest, and I'm realizing that that's okay, and I've had to like majorly declutter my home. The same amount of things that I used to be able to keep out is absolutely not an option because my oldest would just you know, cutely and quietly play with something in my middle. It's just funny for him to just dump everything. And I can't stand that. I can't stand messes everywhere. Just like dumped Legos, dumped blocks, dumped magnetiles, dumped trucks, dumped kitchen food, you know, toy food or whatever. Dump, 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 dump everything. And once I realized that that is the stage he's at, instead of viewing it as like a misbehavior, I just realized, okay, I need to just take that opportunity away. Like let him do it sometimes because he obviously has that need and I need to allow him to fulfill that need. So we bought a bunch of, you know, Tonka trucks and he dumps sand outside or shovels the snow banks that we currently have out back. But when it comes to inside, if I know that I really can't stand when there's seven new buckets of things dumped out, then I don't need to allow there to be seven buckets of things to dump out. So you have to adjust the way you do things if your kiddo is different than maybe you would like or maybe than the older kiddo was. So for me, I really am actually starting to see the silver lining in all of that and realizing that because of his behavior or personality type, I have actually really had to minimize my home and kind of stay on top of not necessarily cleanliness, but like tidiness, if you will. So if I leave way too much clutter on the kitchen counter, then you better bet you're going to find all that clutter in every nook and cranny of the house because to him, it's just like, ooh, what's all this? And he'll grab it and it'll end up somewhere and then I'll lose whatever that important receipt was that I needed to return something. And it's actually, it forces me to be more organized. Like, nope, I can't leave that receipt right there. I need to go put it in my wallet and then put my wallet back up on the shelf or whatever. And I'm realizing, oh, you know, 
that's actually keeping me on my toes. Like, ideally, I, I want to be more minimalist and not so cluttered and not have everything out in the open. And he's actually holding me to that. And on the same, you know, on that same note, it's like I've had to learn to be more disciplined with my time. If you've heard me mention about Happy Holy Home, it is a online like ultimate, ultimate homemakers course that I'm working on. It really has been kind of a result of what I have had to start to practice in my own life as a result of this middle child. So with my oldest, I could kind of willy-nilly get things done around the house and everything would get done for the most part. With my second, it's like I am constantly, constantly you know, chasing after him and keeping him out of like terrible danger, basically, it feels like whether it's climbing something or getting into something that I didn't realize he could reach or, you know, making a big mess. Obviously, I do my best to minimize like mess opportunities, but there are still messes and whether it's causing messes or, you know, fighting with his older sister or having major emotions because he does at two and a half years old, all of those things obviously require a lot of my time. And all of that time means that my time toward my household is a lot less than it used to be. So it has forced me to be very disciplined and focused and intentional with my time. I'm not saying that I'm always 100% good about following it, but the days and the weeks that I do, it is so amazing how much more I can get done in a smaller amount of time because I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, what do I need to do? I'm just literally looking at my list and being like, oh, I got to do that. Check off that box. And because I'm spending less time deciding what to do, I'm able to get more done. And that has been very necessary with having a quote unquote difficult child who obviously just takes a lot more of my time, as well as just even if he wasn't difficult, just the fact that I have three under five, it has been amazing to have something to just follow and literally tell me what to do. Anyways, to wrap up about your difficult child, I just want to share a little something I came across recently about different parenting styles. Now, this actually might be a podcast episode for another time, but since I already kind of touched on it, like different disciplinary actions that aren't working and trying other ones, I wanted to share something that I came across that was very eye-opening for my second child. So, of course, you know, there's like gentle parenting and attachment parenting and all these different like titles for parenting styles. I used to be really caught up in trying to figure out what style I wanted to be until I realized like, okay, I don't have to pick a style and be that, you know, A to Z. I can just like follow my gut and do what I think feels right. And that has actually lifted a huge weight off my shoulders to be like, oh, I can just do what works for me. Yeah, yeah, you can. And something that I found recently, it's called Low Demand Parenting. So it's this Instagram account. It's called Low Demand Amanda, I'm pretty sure. And I saw it tagged on some Facebook post that someone made about having a difficult child. And someone tagged this account. And I started looking at it. And I'm not sure even if it's just this one girl who shares about low demand parenting or if it's like a thing. But what she shared was very eye-opening. Now, I don't think my middle child is as drastically difficult as maybe some of the kids that she shares about. 
but it was along the same lines of what I just shared about how I have baby-proofed my house more or minimized how many buckets of toys he can dump because essentially we're setting this expectation or a demand, if you will, that our child simply cannot meet because they just aren't developmentally ready. He's not developmentally ready to leave seven buckets of toys alone. He's just too curious and too wanting to see the result of dumping them. He's not ready to leave those alone. Maybe he will when he's four or five, but right now he just wants to dump them all. So rather than continuing to allow him to violate that demand, if you will, and then being frustrated with him, I just changed the demand and actually took them out of the equation. But what about things that you can't take out of the equation? Like say, putting shoes on to go to the car to go pick up a sibling from school or something and they're throwing a huge tantrum and you're making this big battle about you have to put your shoes on you have to put your shoes on and then you think to yourself well when we get to school we're actually just picking up their sibling and they actually don't even need to get out of the car and it's actually totally fine weather for them to just walk barefoot and you think well sure, I guess they don't need to wear their shoes. And some of you might be listening and thinking, wow, you're totally just giving into your kid. But I think there's a happy medium. It's like, what if you didn't want to wear shoes to walk out and grab the mail? And someone kind of just said, you need to wear shoes. And you thought to yourself logically, like, no, I don't. It's kind of how your kid is thinking is, I don't I don't want to wear them. I don't understand why I have to wear them. So for you, it's kind of like a pick your battles thing. If you're thinking, you know what? Why do I need to make him wear shoes right now? I don't. And obviously, it all depends on how it played out. You don't really want them to throw this huge tantrum and then you give in because then it seems like they only got their way because they threw a huge fit. But rather, it's just a matter of being more mindful of it from the get-go. So if he's already starting to build up that tantrum, you just kind of change your mind about it and maybe try to present it in a way that doesn't seem like you're giving in. Like you say, actually, you know what, buddy? I just thought of a really cool idea. What if we just went barefoot this one time? And if you word it like that, it kind of sounds like you had a new idea instead of saying, okay, fine, you win. You definitely don't want to word it like that. But this account has just been very eye-opening about making you realize some of the demands that we place on little kiddos are sometimes just too big for them. And instead of forcing the demand, like whether it's a bedtime routine or just some expectation with, you know, other family members at gatherings or something, if the demand is just too hard for them and they have proven again and again that they can't meet it, whether it's by tantrums or screaming or throwing a fit, then rather than continuing to place that demand, again, depending on what it is, consider lifting that demand and just saying, you know what, never mind, I'm going to pick my battle and this particular thing isn't a huge deal. Like for me, when I realized that my two and a half year old is simply not ready to last 45 minutes to an hour during mass, that would be considered like a demand that I decided is just not I don't need to enforce it. He's not quite ready for that. (laughs) Okay, so wrapping up on having a difficult child, I would say the biggest thing that I always try to remind myself is just praying for the grace to handle him and praying for the grace to be, you know, an example to others. When you're in public, instead of feeling like you're so humiliated that others are watching you, instead, just remind yourself that when you are the bystander, 
and you see a kid being that way with a mom, what is going through your mind? Are you actually thinking, wow, they're a terrible mom. Look at how their kid is behaving. Or are you actually thinking, I feel so sorry for her. I hope she knows that no one's judging her. And I hope she knows that everyone has a kid like that. Like, that's what I think now. Maybe not with my first, but now that I have one that's like that, when I see another mom dealing with a child like that, I literally want to go up to her and be like, hey, it's okay. Please don't be stressed out right now. Like, I literally want to tell her that. So it's a good reminder for myself that when I'm in that boat, I need to remember, hey, no one is judging me right now. Everyone is probably thinking, wow, she's really having like a difficult time with that child. And I hope she knows that no one's judging and that, you know, she's doing really good keeping her demeanor and blah, blah, blah. So pray for the grace to handle those moments. Pray for the humility. Pray for all the gifts from the Holy Ghost to get through those moments. And ultimately, remember that I actually had a priest say something about this to me. Of course, our ultimate job is to get our kids to heaven. So if their behavior is causing us to have like lash outs or total frustration or anger or snapping at them or feeling defeated or discouraged or guilty. And those things are causing us to be maybe in a less than ideal mental state to then parent them. That's having a poor impact on our ultimate goal of getting them to heaven. So getting them to heaven, these early five years of their life, I think it's five years, someone said, is like the most effective on their mental state on just who they're going to be for life. So if you're allowing these behaviors to get to you to the extent that you're just lashing out on them and allowing it to just change you as a person to being, you know, this angry person or a mom who's stressed out all the time. It's so not worth doing that because it's going to honestly affect them for life and they're going to grow out of whatever terrible thing it is they're going through. They're not always going to throw themselves on the floor and throw a huge fit. It's developmentally appropriate. It's age appropriate. It is not personal. And when I say this, I'm literally telling this to myself because I am in the thick of it. I'm in the thick of, I often allow these things to get to me. So when it's the thick of everything, you're making dinner, everything is happening all at the same time and you're feeling super overstimulated, take a step back, step into the bathroom, turn the fan on so you kind of can't hear for a second if you need to, and just self-reflect, remind yourself that it's not personal, remind yourself that God gave you this kid for a reason, pray for the grace to handle it all. I always like to say the St. Francis of Assisi prayer, oh Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace and I guess I could go on to say the whole thing or I'll just include it in the show notes, but it is a beautiful prayer and I just always pray for the grace and the patience and the humility, all the gifts from the Holy Ghost to get through those moments. And, you know, they're not just moments. It's a whole it's a whole season of life when you're in the thick of it. I am definitely right there. So I hope this is encouraging. I've seen some recent comments and requests for more episodes about dealing with these early, early years because there's a lot of podcasts out there of moms who have kids in their teenage years or even their adult years, and they share about when they were little. But I think sometimes it's helpful to hear from a mom who is literally in the season, in the thick of it, of my kids being little. I mean, it doesn't get much more relatable than having a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a four-month-old. So hopefully this is really encouraging for you to know that if you have a child who is hard to handle, 
you are not alone and you do have what it takes inside you to handle them and that it doesn't always need to be this big yelling, screaming battle. You can just sometimes allow things to happen and unfold because it's age appropriate and it's only a season and it will be over soon and it's not worth letting it get to you or taking it personally because it's not personal. It's just who they are. It's how God made them. All you can do is your best and give the rest to God. With that, God bless you, my friends, and until next episode. Hey friend, I know your time is valuable, so I sincerely appreciate you tuning in today. If you feel so inclined, I always appreciate reviews on the podcast, and I will always welcome shout outs on social media. My Instagram handle as well as private Facebook community are both linked in the show notes. Or what would be the most helpful is if you could just keep me and my mission here with the Crunchy Catholic in your prayers. I would appreciate that above all else. And of course, you, my friends, are always in my prayers. God bless you.